Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, it is so good to gather here in your house, to sing your praise, to hear your word. Open our hearts now to receive your gifts, to listen, take to heart, to believe, and to follow. In your name we pray, amen. I have this morning with me some things that I consider to be treasures. Many of you will look at them and say, what? Okay, Linda often looks at some of them and says, why do we still have this? Now, if you're at the voters meeting in um, June, you already know what this is. This is a baseball from the very first Major League Baseball game I ever went to. It landed in Wrigley Field in my dad's beer, spilled over onto his lap, and he picked it up and he handed it to me. That's back in 1969. Now this, I wonder how many of you know what this thing is. It's a transistor radio. This predates CDs, Spotify, anything like that. My job when I would work with my dad was, as a child, was to listen to the, sorry Royce, Cubs game and tell him, the score. I don't know if it still works. I guess I'd have to put batteries in it to find out. Now, the next one's going to seem pretty weird, I think, anyway. I wish um, that Kim Cahill was here. He would know exactly what this is. These are refrigeration gauges. I carried these exact ones to and from my dad's truck up and down a ladder more times than I can imagine. So I, for this is what Linda really wonders, why are we keeping that? And then I got one more. This is a putter. This is the club my dad used to teach me to play golf. And when we'd be playing in the VFW League and we'd get away from the clubhouse where nobody would see, he'd let me use this, ball, this club to hit the ball down the fairway. He taught me how to swing, how to hit the ball, all of that with this putter. Now, I didn't pay for any of these. They are all or have ended up mine from my dad. My job has been, in my mind, to take care of them and to keep them. Well, I share that with you because we're going to talk about an even greater treasure today. One that God has paid for one that He creates and He calls us to keep. One of the greatest treasures we have as believers, God has made us one family in Christ. Now in our text, Paul talks about the, the calls it the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
And then he kind of he talks about all the things that we have in common. We did this once at a at a uh, at a synod convention. You know, they can be very raucous, divisive things. And they did a poll to find out how much we had in common in the Missouri Synod. And it was like 95, 96% agreement on all the things that we believe and teach. Well, Paul here goes even more rhapsodic. He says, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. That belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. All these are contained in what Paul calls the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now you need to know in reality, the bond is not a what, but a who. The bond of peace is faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the chief work of the Holy Spirit. Faith in Jesus is what makes us family. Now, it's free to us, but creating that bond cost Jesus his life. Now, we, you're kind of working our way through St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians to talk about our life together, but I want, so I want to go back to the second chapter, to words we looked at a couple weeks ago, and you can see what, what Paul says. Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He, Jesus, might create in Himself one new man in place of the two so making peace, and by might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. For through Him, through Jesus, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Through Him, through His blood shed on the cross, through His life, death, and resurrection, we are reconciled to God. We are family. And think about how amazing that is. None of us would be here today were it not for that. Most of us would never have met were it not for Jesus. I most certainly would never have gone to Concordia College, Milwaukee for school and would never have met Linda. And yet here we are. One family 
in Christ. It's such a valuable treasure, isn't it? This past month, we've seen with all the funerals and that we've had, what a, what a treasure it is to be family. Last Sunday, you weren't, you, you come to the early service, so you didn't hear this. But when Ebenezer was the, the lay minister, and before he started his part, Ebenezer stood out front to say thank you to you. How much it meant to him to have so many of you write, call, show up at the funeral, serve on the bereavement team. How much it meant to you, to him, how much strength God gave his family through this family. How much it meant to him, he said, that we call this home. Being Part of a church family, the family of God, is valuable. So valuable that Paul tells us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. One translation says we should make every effort to keep and maintain that unity. Literally translated, we are to work hard at it. To work with all we have to keep that unity. Now, I want you to notice something. It is not ours to create. We don't have to come up with it. God Himself created the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He doesn't say make, be eager to create unity. He says be eager to maintain. God calls us to maintain that unity. When I left that park that day, I told you I guarded this ball with my life. That's what God wants us to do with this unity. Listen to the text for today. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Did you get that? Paul tells us how. To maintain that unity. First he says, be completely humble. What does that mean? It means that we need to let go of arrogance and realize that we can learn from one another. That your opinion or mine or your way or mine may not be the best way. So we need to listen. It means that when someone asks you, how are you doing? If you're not doing fine, don't say, I'm fine. Ask for help. 
God does not intend for any of us to get along on our own. So swallow your pride and lean on each other. Be completely humble. Second one is be gentle. Now a lot of times people think of gentleness as weakness. It's anything but. It's power under control. Gentleness is like a a great, mighty horse trained to carry a small child safely. You know, you and I, with our words, with our deeds, we have great power, especially over those in our family. We have power to do harm or to heal. We have power to abuse and tear down or to care and build up. Gentleness means giving away the abusing power. It means you aren't rough with people. It means not being like the husband who told his wife, you said you'd obey, and by golly, you will. That's not gentleness. You want to know what gentleness looks like? It looks like Jesus coming to the upper room. Instead of demanding to know why his disciples weren't washing feet, he took the towel the basin, and without a word of rebuke, without a word of resentment, got on his hands and knees and washed their feet. That's gentleness, putting the needs of others ahead of yourself. So, he says, be humble, be gentle. Here's the one we all struggle with, be Patient. Bearing with one another in love. You know what the word patient literally means? It means to be long-tempered. Anybody here have a short temper? Anybody here get aggravated when your computer doesn't open up immediately? Anybody ever get aggravated standing in line at the store because the person in front of you is taking too long? Anybody here been guilty of a little road rage? Let me ask you something, folks. When you lose your temper, does it help? My experience is that when I lose my temper, people get angry right back. People stop listening. And they either fight or they flee. They walk away. They avoid you. It accomplishes nothing. See, being patient means doing exactly what Jesus said. It means recognizing the log in our own eye before trying to pick the speck out of a neighbor's eye. 
It means recognizing my own failings so that perhaps I might be more patient with the failings of others. It means saying, I'm sorry when I've been wrong. And when someone comes to you and apologizes, being patient and forbearing doesn't mean saying, oh, don't worry, it doesn't matter. Because you know when you say that, you're saying they don't matter. God never says that about our sin. He says, I forgive you. Because I forgive you, he says, yeah, it hurt, but I love you more than the hurt. So I forgive you. That's, that's what it takes to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Humble, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know what the problem is? None of that comes naturally to us. Right? Pride is much more natural than humility. Holding a grudge is much easier than forgiving. Being short-tempered is natural, not being patient. Making life about ourselves is what comes naturally to us, not the needs of others. In fact, our pride, our temper, our selfishness, all those things, that's why Jesus had to die. And because of that, you and I must die daily in order to keep the unity of the Spirit. What it cost Jesus to create is in a sense the price we must pay to keep it. We have to be willing to recognize that our selfishness, our pride, our whatever stands in the way of our relationship with God and with each other and daily, regularly come to Him and confess it and admit it and ask for His forgiveness. Luther, in the Catechism, calls it living out your baptism. He says that by daily contrition and repentance, the old Adam, that prideful, impatient, short-tempered Adam, should be drowned and die. So that daily a new man might come forth and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Paul said it. He said, for this reason I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's how we can live a life where we care more about each other than ourselves. Where we treasure one another. Where we serve one another. Where we lean on one another. Folks, the treasure we have here, the treasure for which Christ shed his blood. The treasure of living together in unity. Of living together as a family. It's worth it. Amen? Amen. And now may the peace of God which pass all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.